Turn with me to Mark chapter 2. If you have a Bible, grab your Bible, grab your device, your phone, your tablet, whatever. We'll be in Mark chapter 2 this morning. Uh, So we announced this week, and we're going to keep a real close eye on this, but we are desiring to stay at one service if we can. Uh, We've been a two-service church since long before COVID. Uh, We we were not comfortably able to fit in one service for quite a while. And so we, uh, in coming back now, we've wanted to stay at one service if we can. So we said, we'll stay at one service for the month of March. We'll see how it is going. And we would like to stay at one service if we can for a little while longer anyway, just because we're enjoying being all together and having everybody in one service. We're very much enjoying giving our volunteers a bit of a break who've done a lot of double duty, triple duty, extra duty uh, during COVID. And so, Uh, We're going to just take it on a week-by-week basis. If we start to get too full, like our biggest concern would just be a visitor obviously coming and and feeling like there's not a seat for them. That would not be great as a church, and so we're going to keep an eye on it. But um, other than that, we are going to plan to stay at one 10 a.m. service for the time being, and so we can um, just, yeah, just enjoy being all together and seeing everybody all at once. In a little bit of church family news, uh, babies just just coming like crazy. Uh, so this is baby Stella. Uh, she belongs to Helen and Jonas, and uh, happy, healthy, super cute, and gorgeous already. And so uh, we rejoice with you, Helen and Jonas. Congratulations on that. And I will, uh, I want to take a bit of time, I'm just going to take a couple of minutes, I think at the top of the different sermons that I'm preaching uh, over the next few weeks to talk a little bit uh, about the sabbatical that's coming up, just so we're all on the same page and you guys are in the loop. Uh, So Meadowbrook does have a sabbatical policy for full-time staff, so full-time staff, once you've worked here for seven years, uh, you're entitled to a sabbatical time off for the purpose of refreshing and renewal uh, and seeking the Lord, and so, uh, so I, last summer, I was technically entitled to have one, we were in the middle of COVID. I didn't want to be distracted, uh, and so we decided to delay it. So I will be going off in a few weeks for a sabbatical. So we've announced this all already. We sent out the information, but I, again, I'm just going to take a few minutes, I think, each Sunday just to chat about it a little bit, just in terms of how it's going to work, and, and just so you, everyone's on the same page of what's going to be happening. So uh, so I will be off for three months. Uh, we have announced that Terry Bone will be here uh, for two of those months, and so uh, for a couple of weeks at the beginning, the staff will handle things. For a couple of weeks at the and the staff will handle things. And for those middle couple of months, Terry Bone will be here. And so uh, we have tried to get you to get to know Terry a little bit better. We've had him down to preach a couple times in the last few months. And Terry will be coming in for a couple of days a week. Uh, Typically, he'll be here for Sunday and Monday. Uh, So he's not full-time. He lives up in Niagara. So he'll come down. He'll stay a couple of days with us. His main job is going to be uh, Sunday morning preaching and managing the staff and and making sure the staff is on board and moving forward. The day-to-day stuff will still predominantly be handled by the staff. But Terry will be there in case of a crisis, in case of a funeral, uh, in case of those types of things. There will still be someone kind of at the helm, and he'll be there uh, even from a distance. He'll be talking to the staff throughout the week and touching base and uh, weighing in on things and all of that kind of stuff. And so uh, we're very excited about that part of it. I'm just excited for you guys to get to hang out with Terry for a couple of months. Uh, He's a fantastic Bible teacher and just a a wonderful uh, sense of the Holy Spirit. And so you're going to be in very, very good hands during that time time. Um, And so that's how it's going to work just kind of practically. So as it relates to Sundays, uh, Terry will be here most of the time that I'm away and the time that he's not away. uh, Xavier and Susan and others will be covering some of those Sundays. Uh, One of those Sundays will be Hogs for Hospice, which is happening again this year, including our service, our joint service with the other churches in town. So we'll be down at the lake that day. Um, I mean, you guys will. I won't be. I'll be on sabbatical. But you guys will gather with other churches. And so, um, yeah. And if you ever have any questions about any of this stuff, you can come chat to me, 
chat with one of the board members as well. Um, and I'll just, again, I'll do a little bit each week just filling you in on how it's going to work out practically. All right, so we have called 2022 a year of pursuing peace, understanding that there is peace promised to us in Scripture. Uh, this, this passage we just read, that in Christ all the promises of God are yes, that is God's yes to the world. All of the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus. There is peace available to us in Jesus. We know experientially we don't walk in that peace all day, every day. And so we have wanted to make that a theme this year of how do we find that peace? How do we connect with him and receive his peace? How do we remain in that peace? And so we were in a series called Connection Points, and uh, the original plan was that series was going to take us right up until sabbatical. Um, and then some things kind of changed around where Terry became available a couple weeks ago and Randy became available last week, and I didn't want to say no to them, to have them come and preach. Uh, and then in a couple weeks, we have uh, Derek Parento here, and then one of those is Easter. So it got a little choppy and it got a little messed up. So we're going to stick a pin in the connection points part of things. We're going to keep talking about pursuing peace, but I'm just going to share a few kind of one-off messages as we talk about different ways that we can connect with God in order to receive his peace as well. How are we walking peacefully with one another, with other people around? So the five questions we've been challenging you with this year is as we engage through this year, one, what is our attitude going to be? Are we going to be thankful, grateful, worshipful, loving, uh, peaceful? Or are we going to get sucked into some of the attitudes of the culture around us, some of the attitudes in the, the worst parts of our, our, our heart and in our flesh? Um, how are we going to engage in the world with our attitude? How are we treating other people, uh, both our family, our neighbor, even our enemy, Jesus says we're supposed to love? And so what does that look like, especially in times when we're in disagreement? And how do we navigate that peacefully as followers of Jesus? How are we drawing near to the Lord? If the Lord is the source of all peace, then obviously pursuing peace is really a pursuit of him, right? We are pursuing him that we can find the peace that he gives by his Holy Spirit. So what is that looking like for us? Much of our year has focused on that part so far. What are we contributing to the world? Are we peacemakers? With our words, with our actions, with our posts, with everything that we are doing, what are we sowing out there? What are we showing people about Jesus? What are we showing people about his church? What are we showing people about what it means to walk with God in a spirit of peace? And then who are we imitating? Whoever you hang out with, whoever you give permission to speak into your life, we eventually start to imitate these people, right? It's always fun for me as a pastor. I often marry people as part of my job, uh, and you see a, you know, a couple a 20-year-old couple who you marry, and then five years later, and they start to take on each other's mannerisms, right? They start to dress a little more similar. They start to mirror each other in different ways. Uh, whoever you're spending a lot of time with, whether it's a podcast or whether it's a person, you start to imitate that person. And so who are we imitating then? The Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I follow in the way of Christ, right? Like the, the Christ that you see in me, follow that example. Don't follow my sin. Don't follow my flesh. But when you see Jesus at work in someone's life, you can imitate that. And so who are we imitating as we go through all this together? I want to talk today about rest. How many got away from March break this year? I know some were away. Yeah, it's good to have you guys back. Um, 
It was, uh, you know, for the first time in a couple years, we could cross the border, some of us, a little easier, and if not cross the border, um, there just felt like more freedom this year to, to go and do certain things. And in our house, we, uh, in, at certain times on vacation, uh, we will rent a cottage. We haven't always been able to do that or haven't always been able to afford that every year. But if not a cottage, you know, we, we can go camping or, or we can go visiting people um, or even just sitting on my back deck, right? That can be a, a wonderful escape. Right, to sit on my deck with friends and you're laughing and you've got a cold drink on a hot day, like that's a nice way to spend an afternoon or spend an evening. And so we have this rhythm of vacation in our lives and it's important. And sometimes it just feels like, you know, for those of you who are going away on March break, you know, that last week before March break, you just feel like you're sprinting for vacation time, right? I'm just getting through the day so that I can go and enjoy my family. I can enjoy the break from work. I can enjoy a disconnect from the everyday, I can enjoy all of these things. And, uh, and we've all probably had that experience. I mean, whether it's literally on a beach or at a campsite or, or even just a staycation at home with your family, there is a shift in perspective that comes, right? Like when you get away from work for a little while. Um, there, there is a, a, just a, a disconnect in a really, really good way that can help you see things in a new light or, or get your, your wind back and get ready to jump back into work again in a few days, whatever the case may be. So vacation is great. It's a wonderful thing. Now, what God has given us in his word is a regular weekly day that is supposed to accomplish everything I just said about vacation. There is a weekly day that we call Sabbath that is supposed to be everything that I just said. It's supposed to be a break from the everyday. It's supposed to be a disconnect from normal life. It's supposed to be a time for fun with your family and your friends. It's supposed to be refreshing. It's, just, it's supposed to be renewing. Uh, God has built into his word a regular time of refreshing that is meant to renew your body and renew your soul. It's in there. And, and in a perfect world, we probably shouldn't be sprinting for vacation, although I certainly have done that lots. In a perfect world, we're supposed to experience this so regularly that our soul is just in a, a better spot. It's in a pretty good place because we are regularly taking this break. We are regularly disconnecting. We are regularly receiving his peace as we put aside a day for him and receive that peace and refreshing that he has promised us. So we're going to get into our text now, Mark chapter 2. As we do, just a reminder, we do have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. If you have any questions, comments, pushback, whatever about the message, you can send them there, questions at meadowbrook.ca. We'd be very happy to answer those. Let's read our text today. Mark chapter 2, and we're starting in verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisee said to him, look. Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus is, uh, he's not, I want to say this carefully, he's not a predictable guy when he walks the earth. 
We know these stories, right? So it may be predictable for us, right? We know how that, if, you've, if that story started and you were like, oh, I know this is the Lord of the Sabbath story. I know that one. Uh, like we know these stories and we know the parables and we understand that Jesus acts so differently than the people of the time were expecting him to act. This is where I, this will sound weird to say, but I actually have some compassion for the Pharisees in scripture. And they were definitely, there was character stuff, there was control stuff, there was pride, self-righteousness. There's a lot going on there. There's evil in them for sure. But where I have a bit of compassion is that Jesus sometimes acts in a way that seems to be against the scripture and they struggle with that. And I, I just can't help but believe that I probably would have too, potentially, if I lived at that time. Uh, there are times where it really looks like Jesus is breaking God's word. And we would say that's not possible. Uh, theologically, we don't believe that. We believe Jesus is the only one that fulfilled it perfectly. But there's stories like this where I go, I don't blame the Pharisees for asking a question. I don't blame them for that because Jesus and his disciples, as they are going through the grain field, the disciples essentially are starting to work. They are starting to be out in the fields. They are starting to harvest and they're really not supposed to do that according to God's word. And yet Jesus also makes very clear in this passage that he is not only the only one who fulfills God's word, he is the only one that explains it properly and understands it properly and gives us the right understanding of what it means. And so Jesus, when he comes, just seems to go to war against legalism, go to war against a, a misunderstanding of God's word. He brings a lot of clarification and he says, I have the right to do that because I am the Lord. And so the Pharisees were always looking for reasons to trip him up. Um, and there's different reasons for that given in scripture in the gospel. Sometimes it seems like they have a legitimate concern. Uh, it's also made very clear that they're jealous of him, right? Because the crowds are going to him and he has this following. So they're just looking for ways to trip him up. He came so unorthodox from what they were expecting the Messiah to look like. And they were just doing everything they could to take him down. And so Jesus and the Pharisees throughout the Gospels fight about the Sabbath a fair bit. Uh, the Sabbath is one of the centerpieces of the Jewish faith, and we'll talk about that a little bit as we go through today. But it was, it was undeniably crucial, uh, and the, the Pharisees were always kind of confused and or annoyed and or accusatory towards Jesus about him not following the Sabbath properly. And so in this moment, they just pounce on him. They think they see an opportunity to call him out and get him in trouble. And it starts, again, because on paper, it looks like they're doing what they shouldn't be doing. First couple of verses, 23 and 24. It's, so it's the Sabbath. Jesus is going through the grain fields. It seems like they're, they're just going through. They're cutting through. As they're doing that, the disciples began to pick some of the heads of grain to eat. Uh, again, they're really not supposed to be doing that by the letter of the law. That's, that's harvesting. That's labor. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? That's actually kind of a fair question. That's a reasonable thing for them to be asking. It really looks like they're laboring on a day when you're not supposed to be laboring. It really looks like they're working when that's really not supposed to be happening. And the Jewish understanding of Sabbath goes all the way back to the creation story, all the way back to the very, very beginning this is Genesis chapter 2, 2 and 3. So on the first six days of creation, God is creating. He is working. And so he creates the land and the sun and the stars and the sea and the animals and the plants and everything. On the, the last day, he creates man and, and breathes his life into them, the image bearers of God. And then the word says in Genesis 2, 2 chapter 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. The creating is done. 
So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. No more creating to happen. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So God blesses the seventh day and he makes it holy. And what does the word holy mean? What do we always talk about at its base? It means just different. It means set apart. It means sacred. It means the day that is not like the other days. And so six days a week, there is to be work done, right? God shows us that example in the creation story. Six days a week, we do our work. On the seventh day, God rested. And God doesn't rest because he's worn out. God rests because he is setting that example for us. And as Jesus would make clear in the passage today, the Sabbath is for us, right? It's not that God needed a break, but God wanted to set that example for us. On the seventh day, he rests, and then he blesses that day and says, this day is holy. This day is sacred. This day is different from all the other days. And so when you think of the practice of Sabbath in your own life, that really is the question. Is there one day a week in your life that is holy, that is different from the other six days? Is there a day in there that the rhythm of it and what you do with your time, is there a day that is holy, sacred, different than any other day in the week? The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, and it literally means the stopping That's what the word Sabbath means, Shabbat, the stopping, the ceasing. That is the day when our efforts stop, when our labor stops, when our work stops. That is the day where we follow the example of God in creation. And of course, the example of God in creation is he rested that day and the world kept spinning just fine, right? The the world carried on. The the life carried on. God rested on that day. And so, of course, we would ask ourselves the question, am I more important than God? Right? That I don't think the world could live without my efforts for one day? Like, no, we follow his example. If God himself could rest, we also will stop. We also will cease. And there is peace that happens when we do that, when we lean into that. And say, you know what? There's one day a week where the world will spin without me. There's one day a week where my job will survive without me. There's one day a week where I can turn my phone off and not be available. There's one day a week where I can set a different rhythm. And this is not going to revolve around work like so much of the rest of our lives do. The Shabbat, the stopping, the ceasing, that one day a week that is holy. Not only does God set the example for it himself, he actually builds the rhythm into his creation as well. And it doesn't happen weekly, but it happens in seasons. That there is a season that we are coming out of, praise the Lord, because spring is coming. But there is a season on earth where the fields stop, right? And the trees stop and the flowers stop. Production stops, producing stops, and everything just rests. And so we see in the winter God reminding us of this rhythm, that that there is a time and a place for growth and work and effort. There's a time and a place where everything is still. And yet that stillness is not permanent. There is is life coming, producing will come back again. But even in this this creation that he has made, uh, that there is a point where all producing stops and just rests for a while. 
There's things built into God's law where he said, even the fields are supposed to rest every seven years. Don't plant anything in your field. We know now that they didn't know then that that's actually really good for the soil, that you give it a rest and the nutrients get to rebuild. And it's actually really, really healthy for growing crops. Back then, it was just a commandment of the Lord where God just knew stuff that we didn't know. But even the fields were supposed to rest. And it was the understanding that if you rest your fields, they will actually be more fruitful. And it's not intuitive. It's the opposite of what you you would think are Our human thinking is the harder I work, the more I will get done. And the economy of Sabbath is you take that day off, you will actually accomplish more. You will actually get more done because it will come from a place of refreshing and a place of rest. As God is laying out his law in Exodus, the Sabbath comes up multiple times. The first is in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. A little bit later, in Exodus 31, it says, Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. And then a few chapters later, in Exodus 34, Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. (laughs) No matter how busy you think you are, you still are to rest on the Sabbath day. And it strikes me every time I talk about this, that God has to say over and over and over again, take a rest, take a rest, take a rest. Take a rest. I mean, a death penalty for a day off? Like, that sounds a little crazy. But I go, he must just know that we're so driven and we're so works-oriented and we're so about what we can accomplish and what our hands can do that if he didn't have a serious consequence, we wouldn't take it seriously. I think that's the only way that commandment makes sense to me is he just needed us to know how important this was to him that we honor a Sabbath and, and we take it off and we really do have that day that is holy. Um, it just tells me the fact that it's there over and over and over again. Like he says, here's the Ten Commandments. One of them is take the Sabbath. Sabbath and, and keep it holy. And here's a bunch of other commandments about how you're supposed to treat each other and how you're supposed to approach the Lord and worship. And by the way, guys, remember, take a day off. And here's some more commandments about how we're going to have justice in our society and how we're going to do our offerings and how that's all going to be, guys, sidebar, by the way, take a day off for crying out loud. Just over and over and over. And it, I think it just shows us how bad we can be at this. Like we just, we need that reminder constantly. And so most of us, I mean, you have your, your day job. And if you're a stay-at-home parent, you've got your day job, right? You know what you're doing all day long and all of that work. And, and we are called to that. We are called to work hard. We are called to, to give ourselves to labor. Uh, that is something that is, is crucial and important. And yet, this rhythm of Sabbath is built in. And sidebar, that Sabbath is built in for the stay-at-home parent as well, that one day is to be different. And so uh, if you're a stay-at-home parent who does all the cooking and does all the laundry and does all the cleaning primarily, you get a day off too. Someone else gets to cook that day. You get a rest. And that means you order something in maybe, or maybe someone else in the house can cook that day. But everybody needs a day where the rhythm is different. And as God shows us in creation, uh, even as he rests that day, the world keeps turning, uh, life keeps happening, and and we are not more important than God. Like, does anyone really want to stand before God on judgment day and say, I know you took a rest, but have you seen my to-do list, Lord? Like to say to, to Almighty God, who, who honestly didn't need to take the rest, but who did anyway, to say, I chose not to be like you and try to justify that. It's like, no, we become like him. 
when we honor this day of rest. We become like him when we have one day a week that is, that is out of sorts with the rest of the days in a very good way. So when I honor Sabbath, there's a humility to that where I say, you know what? I'm gonna trust God. I'm gonna trust that uh, in my case, the church will be fine without me for a day, that, that life can go on without me for a day, that I am not so indispensable that God can't keep it going for a day without me. If I'm not doing that, that's pride starting to creep in, right? I start to believe that, no, I am indispensable. I am the one making this happen. It's my efforts that are making my work happen. And in Sabbath, it's like a reset to our pride. Once a week, it's a weekly reset to that human pride that says, I am what I can accomplish with my own two hands. Because there's a God in heaven who says, I gave you those two hands. I gave you the breath in your body. I gave you the skills and gifts that you have to work. And your effort actually has not ever been the most important thing. The most important thing is the blessing and favor of Almighty God. That's what makes us prosperous. That's what makes us successful. And so we honor Sabbath. We get that weekly reminder, he is God, I am not. And there's a humility to it that is so important. As Jesus gets called out, verse 25 and 26, he answers them, have you never read what David did when he, is he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Um, I love it, because they're basically saying, like, Jesus, uh, it looks like you're breaking the law here. And Jesus answers, like, speaking of breaking the law, remember David? <laughs> Like David is, is on paper breaking the law in this story. David was on the run. Uh, Saul was trying to kill him. He had a band of soldiers with him and they found themselves in a place where they were starving. And as they are near the temple, there's holy bread, the bread of the presence that's there in the temple that only the priests are allowed to eat. And yet when the choice was starvation and death or eat the bread, uh, they ate the bread. That's Jesus' answer to this question. And, and as so often is the case, Jesus just challenges our legalism, challenges us from going to the letter of the law. So in the David story, the, the unspoken question seems to be, like, would it be better for David and all of them to have died? Like, is that a better choice? Or is, is there a moment where you can say, hey, there are circumstances here where, where love and compassion and decency call us to, to actually feed someone who's starving to death? Um, the tie-in seems to be, hey, my disciples are, are starving here. And so, yes, they picked some grain, um, but they were doing that, you know, not out of defiance. They were doing that simply because they were starving. And, uh, and so that is going to be okay under this circumstance. And again, if we like things nice and neat and tidy and black and white, Jesus is not maybe the one to follow. Because he is not giving a black and white answer. He's saying, hey, you know what? David broke the law. He did. He broke the law. And so the subtext seems to be, yeah, on paper, they're breaking the law by picking this grain. That is, that is what's happening here. Uh, there were questions throughout Jesus' ministry. Is it lawful to heal somebody on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to, to, to go to someone who's all crippled in their hand and pray for them? Because that feels like work. If you're a minister, that's you working on the Sabbath day. And Jesus just changes the whole game and says, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's lawful to do good, right? It's lawful to do good when a starving, you know, person is on the run for their lives, a refugee is in need. It's lawful to do good to them, even if they're not technically supposed to eat that bread by the letter of the law. It is lawful to feed a hungry person on the Sabbath. And, and again, Jesus just removes the legalism from it. And there is something about the Sabbath that uh, even for us today, like there's a legalism that can kick in 
when we're starting to imagine the Sabbath and it becomes, well, what are we allowed to do and what are we not allowed to do? Right? Can we do this but not do that? And, and at the time that Jesus lived, the Pharisees and other Jewish teachers had this crazy laundry list of permissible Sabbath activities and non-permissible Sabbath activities. And what it really ultimately did, ironically, was turn Sabbath into a job. Because it was not, hey, what do you want to do with your day off to honor the Lord and spend time with your family? It was like, well, got to go back to the rule book. Can we do this? Can we do that? And it became a stressful thing. And Jesus comes to undo all of that. He comes to bring a completely uh, different view that's based more on a freedom than a letter of the law mentality. Like, I'm old enough. I didn't think turning 40 was that big a deal, but I say phrases like I'm old enough a lot more than I used to. I'm old enough now that when I was a kid, things were still closed on Sundays, right? That was legal. That was the law in Canada, that, that restaurants were closed and stores were closed. Uh, sometime in my childhood, that began to shift. And that is the case in lots of North America. They're, they were called blue laws. There were laws around Sabbath on Sundays um, and what you were allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. Now, the irony of all of these things is we don't even follow a biblical Sabbath. A biblical Sabbath is Saturday, Right? That's the Jewish Sabbath. That's the seventh day of the week. As Christians began to gather in the first century, they said, we want to celebrate Sunday. That's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the Lord's Day. So they moved it to that. So already we've moved away from a biblical definition of Sabbath. And so already the legalism is getting challenged. But all through history, through the you know, 18th, 19th, 20th century uh, in Canada and in the States, there were these laws about what you can do on the Sabbath and what you can't. And, and these laws often moved into a zone of kind of a very legalistic view of trying to draw very distinct lines, what's okay and what's not okay. And listen, whether it's Sabbath or anything else, whenever we're looking to scripture and we're starting to ask the questions of how far can I go before I cross the line, we're, we're already losing in that moment. Right? We're losing the heart of God in that moment. When it starts to become, can I go this far but not that far? What are the lines and the borders and the boundaries where I can stretch it as far as I can without actually making Jesus mad at me by crossing into sin? When we start asking those questions on anything, take a step back and say, okay, why? Why are we trying to push the word as far as we can? We're already in trouble when we start doing that. And yet with the Sabbath, that was exactly what was happening. It was happening in the first century, and it was happening even as we wrestle through that. It still happens today. I have people question, and, and often from a very sincere place, is it okay if I do this on the Sabbath? And it just shows to me how far these things have gone into our heads where it is no longer this joyful, refreshing day if we're trying to legalistically figure out, okay, is this, am I crossing a line or is this okay or is it not okay? My favorite story of this is in the southern states in the, the early 20th century. And they had a bunch of laws in place, of course, of what could be open, what could not be open. So restaurants are closed, um, but pharmacies could be open on the Sabbath because you might legitimately have a health need on the Sabbath. And so pharmacies were allowed to be open, uh, the problem with that, though, is pharmacies often had restaurants in them. They often had a soda fountain in there, right? Some of you might remember those days. And so that becomes a problem when a pharmacy can be open, but a restaurant's not allowed to be open because is a soda fountain a restaurant? It's not really, but you could get a cheeseburger, but it's not called a restaurant, so is that all right? So this is legitimately what the culture was wrestling through. How far do we go? How much can we push without crossing the line and making God mad at us? 
And so there were pharmacies that were open. Ultimately, it was decided they are not allowed to serve food because that's too much like a restaurant. But the pharmacy could still be open, but they could serve drinks. And so they could serve, you know, water. They could serve pop or whatever. That was allowed. But they weren't allowed to serve ice cream because ice cream was too frivolous to enjoy on the Sunday. And so these lines get drawn. They don't always make a lot of sense. And yet what some people, especially in the southern states, realize is, man, in hot weather, we sell a lot of ice cream. And so the law clearly says we're not allowed to sell ice cream, uh, but, but we're allowed to sell other concoctions from this thing. And so they said, well, what if we took ice cream and like added some things to it, and then it wouldn't really be ice cream anymore. So they said, let's take the ice cream and we'll add some syrup and we'll add some fruit and we'll add some whipped cream and all these things. And then it won't technically be ice cream because it's not like an ice cream cone. It'll be a whole new concoction and there's no law about the new concoction. And so this is a true story. They threw it all together. And what are we going to call this thing? We're like, well, let's call it a Sunday. Because it's about the Sabbath. And we'll spell it differently so that it's not too on the nose. And they began to sell ice cream Sundays because they were allowed to, because they were not technically breaking the law as they did. So that's perhaps an extreme example. But this is the type of thing that happens when we're moving into a legalistic view of Scripture. We start to do silly things, and we start to ask the question of how far can I push this without making God mad? And we start to draw very distinct lines that don't always make sense, and we start to do silly things. I mean, I like an ice cream sundae, don't get me wrong. Uh, but the way in which it came about is ridiculous. What a ridiculous story. That in trying to, like, dodge the Sabbath laws and make money, they created this thing that allowed them to do that. And the lawmakers even were like, yeah, okay, they're not breaking the law. I mean, it's not ice cream, so what are you going to do? And so we want to move away from that, honestly, entirely. And this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus strips away the legalism and gets to the heart of the matter. He gets to the heart of what Sabbath is all about. He says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That the Sabbath came to us as a gift. It came to us as a blessing. It came to us for our good. And the minute you take something that God intends for good and as a gift, and you start adding all this extra theology and rules and legalism to it, it's not a gift anymore. It's a job. So on the day that was supposed to be a stopping of all jobs, we can turn the Sabbath into something that feels very much like a work. It's something that we got to work at and make happen. And it's the exact opposite of what it was intended for. The Sabbath was made for you. It was a gift given for you. It wasn't something you were meant to serve. It was something that came to serve you. It was a blessing for you. And the idea in its simplest form is a guilt-free day of doing nothing. Or maybe even put better, a guilt-free way of doing whatever you want to do that's going to be refreshing for your body and refreshing for your soul. And so, yes, it includes a stopping of work. It has to. That's, that's the biblical side of it. There should be a day that is different than all the other days where our work stops. There is a day of rest. There is a day uh, of refreshing. And there is a day, uh, but not just for that, not just the stopping. It's what are you replacing that day with that's going to be refreshing for your soul? What's going to be good for you to do? And what's good to do as you take the legalism out of it? And so I have a friend who loves cutting his grass. Like, honestly, it's a joy in his life. And he has grass like a putting green. Like, I don't know what he spends on it, but he spends a lot of money and a lot of time on making it look really good. And we had this conversation once. He's a fellow pastor. 
And he said, like, oh, like, I, I mean, that is work. Like, it is work to go out and cut my grass. That's a chore. But he said, I love that chore so much. I love being outside. I get my music on. I love the sun. I love the smell. I love the engine. I love everything that is going on. It's a joy to me. And I said, do it. Do it. That's what Sabbath is for. It is for things like that. Sometimes people come and say, like, oh, I love working in my garden. Uh, am I allowed to work in my garden? That's work. It's a chore, right? And, I, and I'm doing labor, uh, but I love being outside, and I, I love watching things grow, and I love getting my fingers in the dirt, and I love, I say, do it. That is what it's for. The Sabbath is there to bring refreshing to your souls. I have another friend who was a mechanic, a, an auto mechanic, so that's what he did all day, every day. Um, and, and he had a Sabbath day. And in his spare time, he was restoring some classic amazing car. I don't remember the details of it. Uh, but just little by little, sort of over the years, was restoring this wonderful classic car that he'd been working on forever. And he came to me very guilt-ridden. And he's like, oh, that's literally my job. <laughs> There's, I'm not stopping my, my day job. And I said, well, tell me a bit about what it's like when you're out there, you know, working on your car. And he just says, similar, he's like, oh, I just, I, I do it outside whenever I can. And I've got my, my classic 70s music playing as I do it. And I've got a cold drink. And I, I'm just doing a little at a time. And, uh, and he says, oh, I just, I feel like I'm alive. I feel like I'm just, I'm having the best time. And I just said, well, that feels different to me than when you're there and you're under a boss and you're under a time crunch and you're getting in trouble and, and all those kinds of things. Um, I mean, again, you might disagree with me on some of these calls, but I just think the Sabbath is there for you, right? So what is there for you? What is going to bring rest to your body? What's going to bring refreshing to your soul? What's going to be good for your family? What's going to be good for your time with the Lord? What is it about that day that is different than all the other days of the week? What is about that day that is holy? And I think, honestly, and this is an opinion, just an opinion of mine, but for all of us, Sabbath should include a break from the news. It should include a break from social media. It should include a break from some of these things that can suck us in and, and distract us. Um, I, I wouldn't say that's a biblical idea necessarily, but I think it's maybe a good sense idea that, again, what does it mean for one day to be different than all the other days? And if I'm on my phone a lot on most of the days, maybe one day a week, the phone can stay on the counter and again, life will go on without me and I don't need to worry about that. Dan Allender wrote a really good book uh, and it's just called Sabbath, if anyone was interested. This was his challenge of Sabbath. What would you do for 24 hours if the only criteria were to pursue your deepest joy? What would you do if that was it? St. Arrhenius said, the glory of God is man fully alive. When we, are, when we are alive in him, when we are at our best, when we are thriving, when we are joyful, when we are loving, when we are peaceful, that glorifies God. That points to him. That brings him glory. So as a, just a general principle of Sabbath, what would you do for 24 hours if the only criteria were to pursue your deepest joy? Now, there's more to it than that, perhaps, but I think that's a great question. Right? Like, what would it be for that day to be a day that was truly a joyful day for you? And so for the Jewish people, there is a faith element to it, always. There is a, it is a day for the Lord. That is part of what makes it different. And so they'll have their synagogue service. It's a day for family. It's a day for feasting. It's a day for joyful activities with people that you love. It's a day for, for all sorts of stuff. Um, just removed from the normal everyday thing. What is it about the day that is holy? What is it about the day that is different? There is something about Sabbath that is actually supposed to give us a little taste of heaven here on earth. 
And Hebrews 4 talks about this. I, I did just wrote a Devo for this for our MB seminary uh, for the Lenten season, if you've been following along with us in that. But Hebrews 4 talks about, uh, in the big picture, there's a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There's a Sabbath rest in Jesus. There is a rest when we come to him and we say, I've got nothing to add to this, Jesus. You've done all the work. I, I am saved because of everything you have done. So there's nothing for me to accomplish. My hands do not need to earn anything else. And so there is a Sabbath rest in Jesus. In Jesus, all of our works don't matter, right? He has done it all for us in, in the cross and in the resurrection. And there is a, a permanent, there is an eternal Sabbath rest coming one day. And that will be a place of joy. That will be a place where our works all stop. That will be a place where we are no longer striving. We are no longer doing things by the sweat of our brow. We are no longer focused on accomplishing or, or effort or striving. And Sabbath weekly is meant actually to give us just a little taste of that. That one day a week, our striving stops. One day a week, our labor stops. One day a week, our earning stops. One day a week, we remind ourselves of these things. That in Sabbath, God reminds us that we are accepted by him not because of what we do. Right? Sabbath becomes a declaration of the gospel. That we are not accepted by him by what we do, by what we can accomplish, by what we can earn. That is the exact opposite of the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ is, I have done this for you. Your works can't get you to where I want to get you. Your works can't make you right with God. Your works can't earn a place in heaven. The gospel is all of those things, that in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, he has done it for us. We are sinners in need of saving. A savior has come to save us in Jesus, and he has done it for us. We have been made right with God by an act of God. God has done it. And every Sabbath, we get a chance to remember that. That it's not about my works and what I am bringing to the table. I can rest in him. I can trust in him. I can receive the peace that comes from him. There's a place of trust and peace when we can truly do that and say, my business will survive without me for 24 hours. My church will survive without me for 24 hours. My boss will survive without me for 24 hours. It's all gonna be okay. I trust that God will keep things rolling, will keep things moving. I'm going to rest peacefully in him. And as we talk about a year of pursuing peace, it's going to be very, very difficult for us to hold on to peace in our lives, I think, if we're not honoring this idea of Sabbath. We'll just be too focused on earning, too focused on working, too focused on accomplishing, forgetting that we're not God. We need that weekly reminder that he is God and we are not. We need that weekly reminder that we rest in him and it's his work that's done it all for us. We need that weekly reminder that the effort of my hands are not the most important thing. We need that weekly regular reminder of that. And we also need that weekly day where we are doing the types of things that bring refreshing and renewal to our souls. And so in, just in terms of a very simple breakdown of what Sabbath is for, um, preachers love alliteration, all one letter, faith, family, food, and fun. That for the Jewish people, there's a faith element, right? And so for most of us, Sabbath is the Sunday, and so there's a faith element. You come to church with your family, you take a, a portion of your day, you give it to worship, you give it to fellowship, you give it to the word. So faith will be a part of that for sure. Faith should be a centerpiece of Sabbath. It's also a day for family, not just family, family and friends, loved ones, people you like to spend time with. Uh, you might not like spending time with some members of your family, but the idea is a family day. 
right? Because the rest of the week is work and school and all of these things that pull us in all sorts of different directions. On Sabbath, we can come together and enjoy the day together. And so, uh, so with that comes food. Sabbath is a day for feasting. Cheat day, woohoo! It's a day for feasting, and a Jewish Shabbat will have a meal, and it's a nice meal. Like, it is a nice sit-down meal, um, and it is something that they enjoy as a family and, and often will bring other families and friends into it, and it's a time to sit around the table and share life together and pray together and feast together and enjoy that. And if six days a week we're working hard, and, and I don't do this perfectly at all, but we're working to eat well and exercise and do our part, Sabbath is a day to rest from the exercise. Sabbath is a day to enjoy whatever you want to eat. It is a day to enjoy that part. And again, in heaven, there will be feasting. And so we get a taste of that here on earth. We enjoy the feast that we look forward to in eternity. While we are here on earth, we get a taste of that. And then last part, just fun, refreshing, freedom, renewal, whatever. What will be good for your soul to do? What will fill you up? What will fill your tank? What will bring you joy? What will bring you peace? That's what Sabbath is for a day different than all the other days, a day when we lay aside our bills and we lay aside our worries and we lay aside the stress of Monday morning and we lay aside the stuff we gotta do this week, that there will be a day that is different. And as we honor this, we'll find that peace and that refreshing for our souls. It's actually going to make us better. And in our humanness, it's kind of like with finances where I bring my tithe as my worship to the Lord and on paper, a tithe doesn't make a lot of sense right? Because I'm giving a tenth of my income as my worship to the Lord. And yet I, I can testify of this as someone who's tithed basically his whole life, that I can do more with 90% and God's blessing than I can do with 100% on my own. It's counterintuitive, but, but it's true. And it's the same with our time. It's the same with Sabbath. On paper, if I work seven days a week, I will accomplish more on paper, But the counterintuitive way of the kingdom is, no, you'll actually accomplish more when you honor the Sabbath. You'll actually accomplish more when you have that day that is different. Come on up, worship team. We're just about ready to go. So I can't tell you exactly. If you have questions about Sabbath, by all means, come to me. But I can't tell you what to do with yours because it's yours, right? And, And what's going to be good for you and your family and your soul? What do you need for your refreshing and your renewal? You dictate that. You know why? Because the Sabbath was made for you. It is the gift of God for you. Here are broadly, I think, the things that Sabbath should include. But the how of that, I think, is entirely up to you. What's refreshing for my soul might not be refreshing for your soul. And it doesn't have to be always doing something. If you're more extroverted, I find extroverts often want to fill their Sabbath with lots of stuff, right? We want to have people over. We want to do this. We want to go for a walk. We want to do that. Introverts tend to go, we want to be quiet. And we want it to be more low-key because we want to be able to have that time. That's how introverts refresh. And so, like, on a Sabbath day, I can have a lot of fun playing video games with my kids. Like, it doesn't always have to be some great, glorious, amazing, out there activity. But what's going to be good to draw you closer to the Lord, to engage with your loved ones, to feast on that day, and to be refreshing for your soul? This is a classic uh, example that preachers use when they talk about Sabbath, but uh, there's a story of a man who lived in a village, and he was really strong. He was super jacked, very athletic, very powerful. He was taller than everyone else and and had some strength and some weight to him. 
And yet, he was jealous of another man in the village who was really, really wise. This man was smaller, was not as strong or not as athletic, but he was very, very wise. And so people in the town would go to the wise man when they wanted advice on things. And so the strong man was jealous, and he decided to try and find a way where he could show up the wise man and show the whole village that he was the better man. And so he said to the wise man, we should have a competition, you and I. The wise man said, all right, what would you like to do? And the strong man said, we're going to have a wood chopping competition something where he clearly had the advantage. He says, we'll chop wood from sunup to sundown this day. Uh, whoever has chopped the most wood, they will be the one who wins the competition. The wise man said, okay, let's do it. And so the day comes, they each get identical axes. They each get an identical part of the woods where they needed to chop the wood. And they both go to work. And the strong man is just giving it. And he is killing it. Like his pile is growing. And he's just going and going and going. And he looks over and the, the wise man's taking his time a little bit more. But then there's times where the strong man looks over and the wise man is sitting on a stump and just resting, isn't doing anything. And so the strong man says, I got it. I've got this in the bag. This is going to be great. And so he doesn't rest at all. He doesn't stop once. And he keeps going and going and going. And when the day comes to an end and he looks at his pile of wood, he's amazed. He's like, this is what I accomplished in a day of, of just nonstop physical labor. And then he looked over at the wise man's pile and the wise man's pile, sure enough, was larger. And the strong man went to challenge the wise man and said, how is that possible? I saw you throughout the day. You were sitting there. You were resting. You were, you were doing nothing. And then I was working hard. And, I, and I, didn't, I don't understand how this all works out. And the wise man said, well, I wasn't sitting doing nothing. Every time you saw me sitting, I was sharpening my axe, which you never did. And so you were working harder and harder and harder and actually accomplishing less. I was working less, and I was accomplishing more. And that is the, the timeline. That is the ethic of Sabbath in our lives. We will actually accomplish more by doing less when we honor this in our lives. God will bless us with that. His favor will be with us as we do work. And when we do work, like the wise men, we'll actually be working smarter and not just harder. We'll be working out of a place of rest, out of a place of strength, and not out of a place of just hard labor and exhaustion. So as we talk about pursuing peace, uh, Sabbath is one of the ways that we do that, that we have a day a week where we seek our peace in him. We have a day a week where we put our trust in him, that the world and the work will carry on without us. We can live without it for a day where we put all of our hope and our rest in him and we find refreshing for our souls as we do. We want to worship him before we go as we close off this Sabbath day in worship. So would you stand with me, please? Sing with us as we praise him.